0: an in-depth look into the many divergent career paths made possible by an education in architecture. This is The Archetype Project. All right, guys, I've got to confess, this week's Archetype is one of my favorite ones yet. Katherine Newell is an educator at the University of Michigan. She's founder of Detroit-based Alibi Studios, most recent Rome Prize fellow in architecture, and more importantly, the newest addition to my list of favorite people ever. Just a quick disclaimer, the audio gets crackly at times in this. We're sorry about that. This is one of our very first episodes, but we had some quality hiccups. We tried our best to clean it up as much as we could, but if you can power through it, I promise the content is more than worth it. Here's Catherine. Hello. Hello. Hi, Katie. How you doing?
1: Good. How
0: are you? I'm doing all right. Fantastic. Excuse my my background here. I'm in the most acoustically sound building or room in the building.
1: Oh, I'm in my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Katie Newell. I am the principal of Alibi Studio, which is located in Detroit, and I am also an assistant professor of architecture at the University of Michigan. Uh, so my undergraduate work was at Georgia Tech in Atlanta, and then I did my masters at Rice University.
0: And were both of those in architecture? or?
1: Well, that... here's the thing. Maybe this is part of my interesting story. Um, I went to Georgia Tech originally actually to do aerospace engineering because I'm also an airplane pilot. And I started out thinking I was going to design airplanes um, and just found myself really kind of... Um, Um, not feeling fulfilled in the aerospace department. So that shifted me over actually to the College of Architecture, which at the time had just started its common first year where industrial design, architecture, and building construction were all one program. It was there that a few key professors, um, because because you didn't have to clarify which one it was going to be, Um, Some of my professors, as it came the moment to decide if I was doing building, construction, industrial design, architecture, um, sort of whispered in my ear, like, you know, you're really spatial in your thinking. Maybe you want to go to architecture. So Georgia Tech was architecture by way of aerospace engineering. And then um, Rice was a master's in architecture.
0: Uh, You actually just covered my next question, which was... uh... (laughs) How did you come about architecture school? So it sounds like it was a bit of an accident. I think
1: aerospace engineer people make really great architecture uh, minds. I don't know why, <laughs> but for me, I know it has something to do with the fact that I didn't actually initially go to architecture out of a love for buildings, um, which maybe starts to describe a little bit of my work.
0: But. So let's talk about your work. Uh, <laughs> Alibi Studios, uh, what do you yep. guys do?
1: Oh, wow. I've never been asked that question directly like I that. I know. I'm I sorry. I mean, Alibi Studio. And no, that's fantastic because nobody's like Alibi Studio. What do you do? Because generally, it's just sort of like you know, I just do my work and it comes. Which each thing I would say, in particular, Alibi Studio is actually, at least for the moment, in the work that we're doing, we're super interested in existing spaces, um, and we're in, we're interested in spaces that have a lot of. Um, uh, they sort of have their own stories. There may be something that might be contentious either legally, it might be something more ubiquitous about the type of city that it's in. It might be some sort of strange material condition that's happening or a really strange occupation. But we actually really like to poke in at the moment where we we kind of take in all of the different realities that are happening, either with like a site or a certain material or even objects, and try to actually um, manipulate those in weird ways to give them to give them some sort of um, sort of represented life. So when it comes to things like the installations, we definitely feel like we're we're representing the city through the work, and so we're taking existing spaces and modifying them based on the conditions and circumstances that they're involved in. And so sometimes that's um, I mean, maybe I could speak specifically to some of the work, but some of the installations have dealt, for instance, with arson in Detroit and that sort of reality or the theft of electricity. And so a lot of times, based on conditions, we choose materials uh, that are also part of that story, but at the same time, we're really after something that's pretty much an anomaly to what's happening. And so um, we try to make installations that also are very cued into their material effects Um, and in a way start to become strange atmospheres. Um, I personally am super interested in the effects of darkness and illumination. And so for me, that's always something that underlines that work. Alibi studio doesn't only do the strange (laughs) installations. I mean, we also do light fixtures and with some other collaborators, we do material studies and now we're sort of thirsty for small size buildings that we can start playing out some of our other facial ideas with. But, um, we pretty much become really observant, strategic, and mischievous people. That's what we do.
0: <laughs> I like that lots. So um, I have to ask, are, are you a registered architect?
1: I'm not. I'm working on my test. I'm not registered. Okay. I'm actually at a really funny moment, I can confess to. Um, I've long ago finished my IDPs, and I have passed every single exam. But because of all of the uh, strange things that I've been doing, and mainly with the Rome Prize last year... Uh, before I passed my last exam, the first few expired, so I actually have to retake some of them because of the five-year expiration rule.
0: So, I want to ask you how <laughs> you. Fe- I want to ask you how you feel about that.
1: I don't feel very good about that. It, I mean, it, to be honest, um, you know, it's one of those things where it's it's a little it's. I mean, to be honest, it's very frustrating because I have passed all the exams, and there isn't necessarily like logistically, it isn't necessarily a setup where. Later in life, we all have to retake the exams anyway. So me having taken the exam six years ago is no different than somebody who finished all of the exams, you know, nine months earlier than I did. But, you know, so it's like my my thoughts of what I have learned from the six-year-ago exam are still there, just as anyone who has also got everything else done before six years went by. I also would say, because I also had asked for a small extension because I was going to Rome. And I thought, you know this is something that's really important for my career to have the Rome prize. And it is going to mess up my, um, I knew, I knew by taking the Rome prize, I would probably end up having to have the test would start expiring. Either I'd be taking and studying for exams while I was in Rome or which I felt wasn't going to be true to that. I did actually take an exam hoping to not have that happen. Um, but, uh, I felt instead I really needed to get a fullness of that experience. And so the strange thing is I've gone on to do all these other things that I think have really made me grow as an architect, but in the end prevented me from this sequence of finishing the test within five years. So it's not like I've been goofing off or not paying attention or not or incapable of passing the exams. It's because... I made crazy installations and I won the Rome prize and I became a professor. I mean, it's like, so for me, that sort of felt like it was not supportive of me as a larger successful architect. So to be honest, I'm really frustrated with the situation. So
0: So your pursuit to become a better architect is keeping you from becoming an architect.
1: Exactly. It's keeping me from becoming licensed.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, it it brings up a really interesting point. Like it obviously it, it, it's obvious both in your work and in just talking to you now, like where your passion and your excitement lies. And I'm, I'm kind of really impressed that you're even pursuing the, the, the license in the midst of all the other things that you're doing. Uh, right. I mean, would not getting that last couple of tests finished really affect your overall ability or desire to work as an
1: architect? You know, it's interesting. I think, I definitely do feel a moment, you know, Alibi Studio does want to do some small building projects, and I would really like to be able to sign off on the work myself, Um, and I think it's one of those things where I started taking the test when I was working for Office DAW in Boston, so it was one of those things where I was in practice when I started taking the test, and then I started to sort of explore and get my own voice, which I think then just sort of delayed the process, and I think it's all been something that has informed what I wanted to do. If I don't get it, I mean, I've certainly been a part of companies where the principal doesn't have a license and there's somebody else signing off on the work. And I can certainly also see if my installations continue to sort of drive the majority of what Alibi Studio does. It's not necessary, but there is something about, um, uh feeling like a full member of the architectural discourse that comes with the sort of rite of passage of also getting your license so i have to admit i mean this expiration thing that does have moments of frustration where i'm like forget it i'm not doing it but then i've also like passed every single test and i know if i if i don't continue to like so september is the next would be the next moment i would lose another test basically so it's like i kind of have this deadline of September. It's sort of like an all or nothing deadline. I'm either about to like lose everything and just forget it or get it. And so it's one of those things that I don't know. I think it would be a good, uh, <laughs> I would like to have it even though it's frustrating the hell out of me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fair enough. And I think that the discourse is a, is a, a big topic in the, I guess both in the Academy and in the profession right now is should that distinction be the ticket into the conversation about architecture. Are are architects in the licensed capital A sense the only ones who can speak um, about architecture and the profession of architecture and the importance of architecture? Hmm. I don't
1: know. I don't know. I would definitely say no, but I'm also like surrounded by academia where there's a lot of people not licensed who I think maybe, yeah, it's interesting. I think it always comes with the neuroses of the field trying to decide what it is and what it isn't and i think a lot of people in academia certainly push the field in a direction that often makes others very nervous <laughs> yeah. in terms of you know strange philosophical ideas or weird material manipulations or things that certainly can no, ever, no no way would ever find themselves in a more complete building right um which which you know just kind of begs the difference between um buildings versus uh Spatial, spatial manipulations.
0: (laughs) So I'm going to ask you another broad question that you're going to hate because we just kind of walked right into it. Uh, Define architecture to you.
1: Sure. Yeah, no, I get this question every once in a while.
0: I got to say, I love her answer to this question.
1: So architecture for me, actually, it does not draw the line or Interestingly enough, I'm going to answer it by saying I, I wouldn't first be defining it by talking about buildings. I'm instead talking about um, spatial conditions and spatial conditions that are attuned to their sort of positioning geographically in culture, in law, um, as well as the kind of very keen eye towards a sense of occupation. For me, then, that also plays out in into a sort of really considered understanding of, methods of construction, the material realities and conditions that are happening with that, that sort of affects. And I'd have to say that I then, like, take everything that I just said, and it has to be, like, bundled in a coherent whole. So for me, there's some sort of, like, coherence to any sort of spatial manipulation that is striving for the larger endeavors of human occupation and experience. And even... um, even it's sort of just like positioning in uh in like a landscape or in an environment i actually think sometimes the architecture is not just for a human being there's like certain effects that it actually is playing out in the sort of relationship that it's having to either an ur- urban circumstance around it and its kind of ability to have commentary on that or even as a kind of like player within its environment in terms of like Absorbing energy, reflecting energy, stealing energy, sucking in light, over, 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 illuminating something else. Like I think there's, um, yeah. For me, it all comes down to the creation of space. <laughs> but that definition of what space is gets really, um, for me, becomes really particular.
0: Interesting. I think my next, my next question isn't written down. But it's just a thought that I had. I'm looking at a lot of the work that you guys have and it's very experiential and it's very uh, you know there's two schools of thought and one is that architecture should be felt but not necessarily understood Uh, and then there's Mm. the other school of thought that you know when you walk into an architected building or when you engage with an architected or designed object you should know that you are engaging with an architecture or architected or designed object
1: Mm.
0: what camp If there is one definitive camp.
1: Um, You know, our work really plays on understanding that there's some sort of familiarity. Like you have some sort of relationship. And maybe that's why we really invest in existing spaces. Or sometimes we even use things, a familiar material or familiar form. Um, But we're actually also trying to cause some sort of like visceral reaction to that space. And so it isn't necessarily, it's interesting because I don't, we definitely want to evoke jarring experiences of conditions. And we also are always trying to have some sort of commentary on the circumstances that the the space or the condition is somehow uh, tied into. I don't necessarily think that somebody has to fully understand one, either how it's done or two, um, everything about it in terms of, like, how I'm supposed to move, what I'm supposed to get, what view I'm supposed to see. I think that I, I definitely understand that everyone ha- is, like, sort of up for interpretation. And, and I think also because our work definitely wants to even play with emotion, we know that that is different for every person. And so I think we, we, we go for some t- type of response more than understanding. I mean, we just want to make awesome spaces, <laughs> like, especially in a world that's, like, super distracted at the same time as being um kind of, like, repetitive or filled with a lot of very sort of, like, bland spaces. We want to make those jarring moments that I think actually try to respond more to the rest of the world than themselves. So I don't know if I answered your question. I'm kind of, like... Okay. I liked it. Grabbing on have, both sides.
0: <laughs> I have all the sound bites. I don't mind ambiguity. It's okay. I, I, have, I love ambiguity. As a matter of fact, I just like it to be stated that it's ambiguity. I think a lot of times my frustration with architecture and the profession in architects is we, we address ambiguity like it's definite. Like we're yeah. just like, it's yeah. definitely black and white, ambiguous. and This green. is all
1: about blur. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, right. I guess let's backtrack a little bit because I think our conversation strain just went into a really cool thing and I love it. But uh, for the sake of our students and our listeners, walk us through. <laughs> so after after uh, after tech, um, you went to grad school at, at Rice, and then what? What did you? How did you get to where you are today?
1: There's some really key things. Well, okay, so tech was super important to me in terms of real. Uh, I'm just going to say some important things that lead up because for me they seem to all I'm a big believer in timing and in reflection of in hindsight I see how all these things kind of like manipulated in a very weird way so tech was huge for me in terms of just like the exposure to architecture um as well as understanding that I'm a maker like I found myself really making models as my form of expression and when I go to rice actually is the moment where I get exposed to installations um when I had a visiting studio from Akeem Meneghez and Michael Hensel Um, where I really understood that my making could be full scale and that conversations could happen with things that aren't necessarily comprehensive buildings. Um, So that sort of led me then, okay, if I'm going out into practice now, I sort of, um, I sent out my resume and portfolio to firms. I mean, in hindsight, I don't think I had no idea what I was doing, but I do actually know one nuance about that that was important was that I was sending my, I didn't, for me, it didn't matter what city I was about to land in. It mattered what firm I was going to land in. And that firm, I was very interested in firms that were doing something at the full-scale installation level, um, firms that the principals were teaching as well as being practitioners, which maybe goes back to our original questions about getting a license or not, and even the, you know, thoughts about academia. I didn't at the time know if I wanted or if I was ever going to teach, but I wanted somebody still tied into the academic conversation. So I sent resumes out and kind of just like through the sort of like sending resumes and being like, I'm coming to your city. I want to have an interview and the kind of luck of timing. I got a job at OfficeDot in Boston, which is um, a firm that doesn't exist anymore, but now has split into Monica ponce Architects and um, NADA, which is still in Boston. Um, and so I worked there for several years in the meantime, though, one thing that happened kind of in the coincidence of timing, also when I was sort of papering the world with resumes and portfolios, I submitted for the SOM fellowship, literally like a month into working at office. I get a phone call that I had won the SOM prize, which is something that I encourage everybody to apply for. And it's something that you can only do after your year, like in your year, as you're graduating, that's when you apply for it. Um, Office DAW was super supportive of me getting it and basically, you know, uh, excited that I got it, excited that I can continue the work I was doing and uh, promised to keep, like, to not fire me. (laughs) My SOM application was to travel to places where the weather um, was, the weather and funny enough, I came to realize the kind of swing of night and day was really crucial to just that kind of environment and experiencing it. So I went to the Arctic Um, And I also went to um, Scandinavia, Iceland, and Greenland, and basically was able to kind of live a month in each of those countries. Well, I lived a month in—I sort of traveled all around the major cities of Scandinavia, and then I lived for a month in Norway, in the Faroe Islands, in Iceland, and in Greenland. And I wasn't necessarily looking— I would meet with architects and I would go to the important buildings, but I was also just trying to like experience those spaces and those cultures and their weather. I mean, I was like a storm chaser, basically. Um, so I came back and worked at OfficeDot for a lot longer. Um, and then at some point, I mean, it was it's one of those firms where you, you know, you're working crazy hours, 80, 90, 100 hour weeks based on like deadlines and competitions. And I learned so much. But I know at some point, maybe four years into that, I reached a moment where it's a little bit of just, like, burnout, but also a little bit of, like, still feeling my own interest, wanting to become part of it. And um, the principals, again, Monica, Ponce Leon, and Nader Tarani were both super supportive of a lot of their um, employees when they want to either start their own firm or maybe go into teaching or that. They're, they're kind of like amazing mentors in architecture that um, sort of... Uh, treat the person first as like somebody who's there to dialogue about the discourse and then as an employee second in a way. So they were super supportive when I just kind of had an inkling that maybe I should go for a teaching fellowship, which would give me a a sort of year to work on some of my own ideas, test out teaching. And I I very naively thought that I was going to go do a fellowship and then come back a year later and return to Boston and set up my own firm course that didn't happen. So I get I I did end up getting the um, teaching fellowship at the University of Michigan. <clears throat> I started teaching at Michigan also when the economy really tanked. And so uh, I was doing an installation which kind of kept me caught up and distracted to the point of like when the school year ended, I was also like, oh, I don't know where I'm going to go or what I'm going to do, but Michigan will keep me for another year if I want to stay. So I stayed and at the same time, I got the commission to do salvage landscape. So I stuck around thinking, you know, basically breaking the thought that I was going to go back to Boston and start my own firm. And then I started, I just started to get more momentum in some of my work. And then I got the league prize award. And at that point, Michigan was hiring tenure track people. And a lot of my colleagues were saying, you know, you're really doing stuff at the caliber of a tenure track professor, you know, and I, I wasn't really sure I ever wanted to go tenure track, but basically it comes with a more stable contract. It comes with more research funding and more seniority in the school to be teaching the things you want to be talking about. So I went into teaching at that point. And then um, I hit a moment where I had done a lot of significant and even like my work can be in a way sort of um, emotionally taxing because I deal with some really tough issues through the installations. And I was starting to also get a lot of, um, I was just starting to be in a lot of exhibits that were, uh, even though I was I was talking about doing architecture and definitely working through the discourse of architecture, I was also starting to get in exhibits that were, like, for Detroit artists and that sort of things, and just, like, showing these works. And I had a moment where I was like, you know, I better – I really want to make sure that I can do work in other cities besides Detroit. Or, like, what – how would I play out in a different location, and what really becomes my practice when I'm talking about larger conversations that aren't so specific to home? And that's when I applied for the Rome Prize – Um, which allowed me actually to take a moment to assess all my work. It's sort of the moment where I realized that darkness was so important to my work. I applied to the Rome prize with the, um, under the topic, it's called involving darkness. Um, And it really sort of took the premise that um, darkness and with a a more particular slant towards nightfall uh, really formulates a very different city and formulates a very different experience for the space. So with that, um, I very, very thankfully got the Rome prize and went to Rome for the year. So I'm just now getting back, <laughs> um, and getting back into teaching and, uh, trying to figure out what Alibi Studio is actually doing next. Sort of like, um, it's, a—I I have all these ideas and I'm just trying to figure out like what order to do them in, <laughs> uh, and that sort of thing. But like, that's, that's more of my longer story, I guess. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with
0: it I'm, you. <laughs> I'm thoroughly enjoying hearing the story i have to ask where'd the name alibi come from
1: ah uh, yeah okay yeah um i really i really cherish alibi studio um as the name there it's two sort of things i mean it bounced around actually with a couple of their names for a while um but alibi was landed on for two important reasons one Um, We do do things that are a little mischievous, and there's always, like, some interest towards, like, what's the law and legality, and I think there's also a little bit of sort of, um, you know, we're constantly pushed in the question of, like, is this architecture or not, and for me, the way we work actually becomes, like, an alibi to have those conversations The other reason is, actually, I worked very closely with Nader Tarani when I was at Office DAW, and um, to the extent of even, you know, at times talking to him about his lectures and his current ideas, and if you look through his writing, he uses the word alibi a lot when he talks about something being an alibi for something else. And so at some point, it all just kind of clicked together. I think I might have even been, like, listening to NPR one day, and it said something about somebody's alibi, and I was like, oh, that's it!
0: You know, because it um I like it so much like you don't you like the perfect you're the perfect first archetype like you just oh, good. It kind of <laughs> the second you said blurs the line between missed like legality I was like yep there she is I think our generation of designers um are caught in this uh kind of place of internally being rebels and rabble-rousers there just really is no outlet right now for us to express those things um, in the conventional sense and in kind of the typical marketplace. So my last question is something that I'm sure you, I know you deal with every day because it's your job, um, but I'll let you be able to hopefully step outside of what you normally have to say to your students. Um, If you had (laughs) one message to to send out to aspiring architects, aspiring archetypes, uh, whether they're rebellious or they want to, you know, Poison the establishment from the inside. If you could have one message for, for young designers coming out right now, what would it be?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, maybe that spins off from of even the way you asked the question. I, I think I always, well, for myself and anyone else, I'm always trying to encourage people to figure out what their own voice is. I don't know. I mean, we're all unique. We have unique perspectives, and one thing I do love about architecture is all the backgrounds and interests that everyone has, and so I want nothing more than everyone to be able to, like, do architecture through their own voice, and sometimes I think that might end up being something that's, like, a stranger or less, let's say, less normative definition of what architecture is, but I actually do think it's a discipline that lets you express yourself in your own way.
0: So one of the things that we hope to accomplish with this project is just showing students that, hey, guys, you know, there are those people out there who have done the things that you all want to do, they're not rare. Uh, It's not impossible. You don't have to be a unicorn to pull this off. (laughs) 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 And I think you're, you're kind of a primo example of that. Sometimes Um, I feel
1: like I have to be a unicorn.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that was Katie again, Catherine Newell founder of Alibi studios in Detroit, Michigan educator at the university of Michigan and most recent Rome prize recipient in architecture. Katie did have one more thing she wanted to share with us before she signed off. So here's a fun fact for you.
1: I was the president of AIA's Georgia Tech. So I like went to the national convention and everything. And that year I was in Pittsburgh, which I, I would not lie, um, it was a good thing for me to have done and to be able to relate to, it may have been at least at Georgia Tech one of the strongest ways I was able to relate to people in different um, levels of architecture than I was, like the, the moment where juniors and sophomores and freshmen and seniors all come together. I guess it was mainly predominantly undergraduate, the way it played out there, but that, that for me was able to, um, might've been the way that I first realized that like the conversation keeps going. Like it's not just about class and school and your pinup and your review, but it's about a bunch of all these people that are crazy about space.
0: As always, the Archetype Project is a product of the American Institute of Architecture students. Since 1962, the AIS has been working to empower the next generation of design leaders. TAP is made possible by the efforts of our crack team. Isabel Gaczynski and Miguel Mendez are our editors. Web design and development by Rachel Law and Jennifer Elder. And the beautifully crafted articles accompanying each episode were written by Natalie Hetu and Justin Pajoric. I'm Obi Okolo, and whether it be video, audio, or otherwise, we will see you next week.